following message is presented by Erie Evangelical Free Church in Erie, Illinois. We are a church that exists for the good of our community and are proud to share the gospel of Jesus Christ as we seek to know him and make him known. I've mentioned before that, that Aaron and I like to watch like the home improvement shows, HGTV and those kind of things. Aaron likes the design aspect of things. She likes to see how rooms come together and she's got a great eye for colors and spacing and, and that kind of design type thing. Um, I really could care less about that, but I like seeing the construction. Like I like seeing them change things around in a house and build new things. And, and one of the shows that I really like that we've been watching a lot lately is one called Restoration Road. Um, if you're unfamiliar with Restoration Road, it follows a guy named Clint Harp, who is a incredibly skilled woodworker and craftsman, and he goes around the country and follows these different projects where people go into these old, dilapidated buildings, and a lot of times it's, it's barns that are 180, 200, 220 years old. I mean, barns that were, were hand-built in these incredible ways, but are now reached the end of their life. And, and these people go in, and they take these barns that are about to fall down, and they very meticulously deconstruct them, and they mark every beam and every board, and very, very cautiously and purposefully take it down, and then they move it, sometimes across the country, and rebuild these buildings that were about to fall down and create these amazing and beautiful spaces, whether they're homes or banquet halls or wedding facilities or whatever it is. See, these buildings were really cool in their own way. The construction and the craftsmanship was amazing. But if left alone, they would have fallen down and been lost forever. They just needed a little new life breathed into them. The life of a true follower of Jesus Christ is marked by a very similar reconstruction. When we come to, to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, it doesn't change our DNA, does it? You don't become a new person. You, you do away with your old nature and you receive a new nature. You are made new, but your, your flesh remains the same. It's not like when I came to know Jesus, the color of my hair changed and the foods that I like changed and all this different stuff. No. But when the life of the incarnate God is breathed into us, we are renewed, we are renovated, we are restored. But unlike the projects that, that Clint Harp follows and the, the old barns and old buildings, our change is not one that somebody can come in and do for us. It requires on our part a willful surrender to the Lord. We must submit to Jesus and allow him to do his life-altering renovation of our hearts to make us useful instruments for God's kingdom. And, and the question I want to ask before we get into this passage this morning is simply this. How do you and I, how do we view God's work of restoring our lives, our hearts, our minds, our lips? How do we view God's work of restoring us to faithful service in his kingdom? In Matthew's telling of the birth of Jesus, which we're going to see today, he sets our focus on Jesus' earthly father, on Joseph. And in doing so, he's going to teach us three truths about how God forms us and uses our surrendered hearts for his kingdom work 
if we will submit and sacrifice to him. And the first truth that he shows us is in verses 18 and 19, where he shows us that preparation requires pain. Preparation requires pain. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 and 19 says, The birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. So her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. Okay, preparation requires pain. These two verses simply says that Mary was engaged to Joseph and she's found to be pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Pretty simple, right? (laughs) Very simple thing. Let's take this part a little bit. It says, Mary was engaged to Joseph. Maybe your Bible says, was betrothed or was pledged to Joseph. If you know this story, you know that the engagement in this first century was a little different than what we think of as engagement. It is an engagement. Mary is engaged to Joseph. But in the first century, that engagement carried a lot more weight than what we think of as an engagement. For us, an engagement is a time where we say, hey, we've agreed to get married, and on this future date, we'll go through the ceremony, and then we will be married. Legally, spiritually, emotionally, everything. Until that date, we can break this off. It's no big deal. I mean, it is a big deal, right, to you, but there's no, like, great consequence from that. In the first century, the Engagement period or betrothal or pledging, whatever you want, want to, however you want to translate that word, um, the couple was legally married. Right? They are legally married during this engagement. They're committed to one another for life. However, they don't consummate the marriage until the ceremony. And that's when the engagement is completed. And they are fully married in the eyes of God, in the eyes of the government, and in the eyes of everyone else. But during this engagement period, they are legally married. They are pledged fully and completely to one another. And it's during this time that Mary is found to be pregnant. Okay, let's draw some conclusions. What does that mean? She's legally bound to Joseph, but they haven't come together to consummate the marriage, and she's pregnant. I don't want to get into a biology class today. Okay, but what this means is she's cheated on Joseph. That's the implication here. She has cheated on Joseph. Ah, but Matthew doesn't leave us there, right? Matthew lets us in on the secret. He says, yes, she is pregnant, but it's by the Holy Spirit. She has not committed adultery. She's become a part of what God is doing. Okay, so she's found to be pregnant. It's by the Holy Spirit. But at this point in the story, who else knows this? Nobody, nobody else knows when she finds out, when she finds out and she is now pregnant. So everybody else looking on, right? We see somebody pregnant. We can make some assumptions. Am I wrong? No, I'm right. I'm right. I am. So... So, so this happens, and it's like, okay, okay, now what? Right, we go to verse 19, and now we get a shift to look at what Joseph experiences in this time. And verse 19 tells us that Joseph is a man of high moral character. He's righteous, 
He's compassionate and he's faithful to Mary. In fact, this fact the, 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 the fact that he's righteous, compassionate, and faithful leads him to the conclusion that what he needs to do is do, to divorce Mary secretly. Okay, now, it, it, again, according to the law, Joseph could have Mary dragged out in the street and stoned. She's engaged to Joseph. She's pregnant. It's not Joseph. That means she's committed adultery. She can be stoned for that. Joseph says, I don't want to do that. He could take her to, to the leaders, to the elders of, of, of the city and divorce her very publicly and have her shamed and have her rejected and outcast. He doesn't want to do that because he's compassionate and he's faithful. And so he's racking his brain and what he comes up with is, I guess I'll just divorce her secretly. Try to keep everybody from knowing as much as we can. Right now, even if he does that, we live in a small town, right? How long does it take for word to get around? Right, his decision to divorce her secretly, he's trying to do what's in her best interest, but he knows that even that decision is gonna bring pain and heartbreak and rejection and judgment. But he, he, he can only come up with this is what's best for Mary. Right, this first look at Joseph sees a good man in a difficult position with a tough choice in front of him. And no matter what choice he makes, it's going to bring pain into his life and into Mary's life. But this conflict is paving the way for the grand work that God is about to do. This pain, this preparation brings pain, but it's going to lead to God doing what only God can do. When I... um, when I used to train and, and run marathons, I, I trained really hard. Like my long weeks were 150, 160 miles in a week. And usually when I tell people that, the first question they're like, were you tired all the time? I'm like, well, I was running 150 miles a week. Yeah, I was exhausted all the time, constantly. But here's the thing. In the midst of those days going out and sometimes doing you know, 30 plus miles in a day, I would endure that pain and that discomfort. I would take that on. Why? Because I had a purpose in mind. Everything I was doing was geared towards this day and this race and this event. And so while, yes, this hurt, I knew it was going to prepare me for what I was going to do later, for what I wanted to accomplish later. I worked every day to be ready for that one day. When it comes to our faith, if we are going to be faithful to God's calling in our lives, we have to know that the preparation for that is never likely to come easily for us. As God prepares us for what he wants to do in us and through us, it will bring pain because it requires us to sacrifice. It requires us to walk through discomfort. It requires us to submit and to surrender to things that we don't want to do. But the question is, do we have that purpose in mind? In 2 Timothy chapter 2, and and we we studied through this book, and if you remember, 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul is writing to Timothy, his his, his young son in the faith. And in chapter 2, he's he's telling Timothy, listen, things are not going to be easy, but I want you to stay faithful. Stay committed to the task in front of you. 
In verse one, he says, you therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. He says, don't draw your strength from what you can do, what you can accomplish, what you think is doable in front of you. He says, no, look to the grace of Christ Jesus. Know that things will be difficult. Know that it will require hard work, but trust in the grace of Christ Jesus. How so? Well, he goes on in verse three and four, and he says, share in the suffering of a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in the concerns of civilian life. In verse five, he goes on and says, if anyone competes as an athlete, he's not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Verse six says, the hardworking farmer ought to be the first to get a share of the crops. Okay, what's he doing there? He says, let me give you three examples of what it looks like to sacrifice, to surrender, to take on discomfort for a purpose that is greater than yourself. He says, the soldier gives up his right to his personal life to serve and to obey those God has put over him, to accomplish what needs to be accomplished. He says, the athlete gives up the right to do whatever they want. You have rules, you have guidelines, you must compete according to this if you want to win. He talks about the farmer and the, the heartache and the bloodshed that comes from being a farmer and giving your heart and your soul into this field to see this crop grow and to trust that God is going to make that crop grow. He says, you're going to suffer. Things are going to be hard, but trust in the grace of Christ Jesus if you want to achieve what God wants to achieve in you and through you. See, in our faith, every single one of us is going to suffer but we suffer faithfully with a purpose if our trust is in Jesus Christ. Because whatever we are going through, whatever you are going through, know that God will use that, not cause that. And don't put the cause of all your suffering on God. We suffer for a lot of reasons. We live in a broken world. We are broken people. But God will take any and all of your pain and he will use it to mold you and shape you to who he wants you to be. Isaiah talks about this in Isaiah 26. He's talking to the Israelites. He says, times are going to be hard, but know that God will take care of you. I'm summing up like 20 chapters in the middle of Isaiah there. Really probably the whole book, but that's a conversation for another day. In Isaiah 26, verse 3 and 4, he says, um, speaking to God, he says, you, God, will keep the mind that is dependent on you in perfect peace, for it is trusting in you. Trust in the Lord because the Lord, the Lord himself is an everlasting rock. Isaiah says times will get hard. If you trust in the Lord, know that he will preserve you. He will take care of you because he is doing a work in you, even through that trial, even through that difficulty, even through that suffering. What's that mean for us? It means that if we choose to surrender, to submit to Jesus Christ, if we follow the Lord, we will have friends in our lives who turn on us. Because we refuse to agree with the ways of this world, with their thoughts and their ideas. Maybe God's going to use that to build our dependence upon him and not on the hopes of relationships with other people. When we faithfully follow the Lord, there'll be times where we will be grossly uncomfortable with God's word. God will say things. And we're like, nope, don't like that. Nope, don't want to listen to that. That doesn't sound fun. I don't understand that, so I'm going to reject it, right? That, that will be the temptation, but maybe God's going to use that discomfort in our lives with his word to teach us about humility, to teach us about the fact that we don't have all the answers and we never will, to teach us to trust in him whether we can see the end game or not. As we follow the Lord faithfully, we will lose loved ones in our lives. 
Perhaps God will use that pain to show us the immensity of his compassionate comfort, ways that make no sense to the rest of the world. Sometimes if we're following Christ faithfully, we'll still mess up and we'll have to suffer the consequences of our own sin. Maybe God's going to use that to reveal the depth of his holiness, how transcendently perfect he is. And as he shows that to us, he's going to show us the massive nature of his grace and his mercy. None of these things make the trial or the suffering easy. The pain is still there, amen? Amen. But if our perspective is right, it gives us the strength to endure. Because while we suffer the pain, we understand the preparation. Do we see our painful situations in our life as a nuisance to be avoided? Or do we understand it as preparation for what God is doing and what God wants to do? To live faithfully requires preparation, which very often brings pain. But when that happens, then we'll also see the process, that process that God puts us through for that painful preparation, process may feel crazy. The process may feel crazy. Watch what happens in verse 20 and 21. It says, but after he had considered these things, and he here is Joseph, right? After he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Process may feel crazy. Joseph's consideration here, it says after he had considered these things, it's not him looking back at a decision he's already made. Joseph's consideration here is him wrestling with what must be done. All right, we said, he looks at it and he goes, man, the only reasonable thing I can see is to divorce Mary secretly. That doesn't seem like the the best thing, but it seems like the, the best of all these bad options. He's looking for another way. He's looking for something other than divorce but he sees no reasonable options and it brings pain to his heart. And so at this point, God steps in with Joseph and God sends this angel and the angel calls Joseph to courage and lets him in on this divine secret of Mary's pregnancy and the the purpose of this child in her womb that he would save his people from their sins. Now, just for a second, Just for a second, forget the fact that you know this story and you hear it every year at Christmas and you've read it many, many times and you know not just this story, but you know how the whole life of Jesus and the whole early church and all this stuff turns out. Imagine how crazy this has to sound to Joseph. Think about how insane this message must sound. The angel comes and goes, hey, Joseph, hey, I'm an angel. Okay, first of all, holy cow hey, I'm an angel. Hey, your virgin wife, Mary, she's pregnant. You already know that. But but she's pregnant. Yeah, it's true. Okay. (laughs) Um, And that baby in her womb, I know it's not yours. That's because it's the Holy Spirit's. Hold up a second. I got some questions if I'm Joseph. 
It's the Holy Spirit's baby. Uh, but but we, we want, God wants you to give him a name. It's Jesus. We hear the name Jesus and we think, okay, that's, that's the divine name of God in, in human flesh. That was a common name. Right? It, it's Yeshua or Joshua. Joshua's a great name. I, I got nothing against the name Joshua. Right? But if the Holy Spirit is coming going, hey, Mary's going to give birth to the Messiah, it's probably not the name I'm going to guess. It's a common name. But not only this, then the Holy Spirit's like, oh, oh yeah, and, and this, this baby in your pregnant wife's womb by the Holy Spirit, who you're just going to give a common name? Yeah, he's the Messiah that the, prophet, that the prophets prophesied about for hundreds and hundreds of years. Night. Sleep well. <laughs> Listen, if you don't think that sounds crazy, you are incredibly unreasonable. <laughs> Because there is no way, shape, or form you can put yourself in Joseph's shoes and go, that does not sound insane. I would love to tell you that everything God does makes sense to me. <laughs> Wouldn't you love to say that? <laughs> I get everything God does. That's all. I'm, I'm on board 100% all the time. I'd love to say I get why he commands us to do everything he commands us to do. Why he says not to do the things he says not to do. I can give you a lot of the biblical reasons for why that is the case. But there are times where I look at him and I'm just like, man, I, I mean, okay. But it doesn't make sense to me. God doesn't always make sense to me. And, and if you take a five-second look around this world, you start to get why God's commands God's nature, all of that stuff doesn't always make sense to us, right? Flip on the news for five minutes, seriously. You see innocent children killed in the crossfire of war every day. You see natural disasters destroying lives, seemingly at random. You see wicked men and women making millions of dollars every year in the pornography industry and with human trafficking, and knowing all of that, God wants me to pray for my enemies. God wants me to forgive everyone. God wants me to trust him. Listen, I get why people with an unbiblical understanding of who God is don't trust him. I get why people who have an unbiblical understanding of God look at him and go, how can I trust this God? Because they're basing that view on what they see, on what they think, on what they can figure out. And that will never make sense. Because you and I will never understand all of who God is. We are incapable of that. Psalm 113, verse 4 through 6 says, The Lord is exalted above all nations, his glory above the heavens. Who is like our God, the one enthroned on high? Who stoops down to look on the heavens and the earth? And the psalmist says, God is way higher than you and way better than you. You will never fully and completely understand everything about who he is. Why? Because he is an infinite, holy, perfect God. And you are a finite, broken, unholy person at your core. He is the God of eternity. Now, here's the thing. Because I have a biblical concept of God, then I trust his goodness. I trust his faithfulness, his love, his purposes, 
I trust it because of what I have seen, what I've known, what I've experienced, what I've read in his word, what the Holy Spirit has made clear to me. Even when I don't get it, I can still trust him. Why? Because he is trustworthy. He is so much more trustworthy than my view of what should be trustworthy. So no matter the difficulty, I can trust in the Lord. Right? And that's, that's what true surrender is. Because if we surrender to God, if we submit to him, if we say, God, I will trust you as long as you make sense to me. God, I will trust you as long as I can know exactly what you're doing and why you're doing it. God, as long as this is all perfectly clear to me, then I'm on your team. That's not submission and surrender. You don't worship God, you worship yourself. That is idolatry. True submission and surrender says, God, I don't get it right now, but I trust you, I love you, and I will serve you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I guarantee you that process is going to feel crazy sometimes. The question is, is our surrender complete enough to walk into the things that we might perceive as a little nuts? Is our surrender complete enough to walk with the Lord when we're not sure where we're going? I realize that as we talk through this and we, we look at the life of Joseph, we say preparation requires pain. And that the process may feel crazy. Pain and craziness are not the greatest selling points of Christianity. <laughs> but when we carry these out, remembering that the preparation will require pain, and that that process may seem crazy. We also remember that obedience yields joy. Obedience yields joy. Watch what happens as we finish this passage. Verse 22 through 25. It says, Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the Lord's angel had commanded him. He married her, but did not have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son, and he named him Jesus. Obedience yields joy. We're reminded here right off the bat that despite how painful this situation was and how crazy this process may have seemed, that God is in control. Right? It says, all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. All this, this whole situation, the struggle, the suffering, the craziness of how it all looks, all of this had to take place to fulfill God's promises. Matthew quotes from Isaiah 7.14, and, and we talk about this, this verse again at, at Christmas um, most years. Because you, you have to talk about this verse at some point in Christmas. It's, it's the rule of God. Okay, maybe, maybe not. Uh, <laughs> but Isaiah 7, 14. The virgin shall conceive and give birth to a son. You shall name him Emmanuel. 
Now, where does this come from? It comes from about 700 years earlier. And Isaiah is speaking to Judah's King Ahaz. You remember Ahaz from two weeks ago? He's part of Jesus' family line. But this king of Judah receives a sign from Isaiah. He says, here's the sign that Judah is about to fall. The virgin shall give birth to a son. Right? And in this case, the virgin is, is she's not married yet. But when this girl gets married and has a child, they'll name him Emmanuel, and that will be a sign that Judah is about to fall. It's a sign of destruction. But in Matthew's context, it's a sign of restoration. Right? It's a sign of God coming to save his people. And it carries an, an, a greater theological nature to it. Because you and I, mankind, we are all sinful people by nature and by choice. Now, we choose to sin. I don't think any one of us goes, I've never chosen to sin. I've never known what I should do and did something else instead. At least not if we're honest. We're sinners by choice, but we're also sinners by nature because we carry the sin nature within us. Romans 5, verse 12, says, Just as sin entered the world through one man, and the one man here is Adam. And we go back to Adam and Eve, the first sin. That sin is passed on through the generations of mankind to you and me. It says, Just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, in this way death spread to all people because all sinned. Right? If you are born of a mother and a father. Okay, quick show of hands. Who, doesn't have, who, who never had a mother and a father? Who never had? Correct answers. Correct answers all the way, all the way around. Now you carry a sin nature. Jesus was born of the virgin, and this was necessary so that he does not carry the sin nature. Yes, we know Jesus lived perfectly. He never sinned by any choice of his own. But if he had carried the sin nature... He would not have been a worthwhile sacrifice in our place because he would have carried sin in his nature. So it is through this perfect Messiah, the holy God in human flesh, that God is going to save his people. The purpose for the birth of the Messiah. And what we see in this is that all this took place to fulfill what God had promised and as part of that, God uses the faithfulness of this righteous, compassionate man to facilitate the delivery of the greatest gift the world would ever know. Joseph hears all of this. He's been through the pain. He sees the craziness. And what's he do when he wakes up? He obeys. He does exactly what God called him to do. And through that obedience, God brings the greatest gift the world would ever know. As we have already said, the journey of faithfulness in our lives will be painful and sometimes, maybe even a lot of the time, feel crazy. But if we want to know the fullness of joy in faithful service to the kingdom of God, then we must be obedient even when it's painful, even when it feels crazy. Because if we want to serve ourselves... If we want to try to make the Christian faith just about me feeling better about myself or me looking good to other people, 
We can do that. But I promise that the Christian faith will be a joyless religion for you. Because you will never do enough. You will never know enough. You will never achieve enough. And you will never have joy. But in obedience, in sacrificial obedience, we know the full joy of surrender to the Lord. Because we find the meaning and purpose in the sacrifice and the pain that we endure. The the pain and the sacrifice that, that shapes us and molds us to be more and more like Jesus Christ. So that we can serve one another. And be useful in God's kingdom. Not because we're great, not because we have anything to offer, but because God is exactly who God is. And he wants to allow us to be a part of his work. Again, that comes when we faithfully surrender and know the joy of being more like Jesus Christ. The one who left the throne of heaven voluntarily to be born of that virgin in Bethlehem without the sin nature so that he could live a perfect life, being tempted in every single way that you and I were tempted, but never giving in to sin, never falling never seeing the relief of the pain of temptation, but walking perfectly to live that perfect life so that he could be the sacrificial lamb whose blood was shed for us. So that when he was laid in the tomb, he would be resurrected, finally defeating sin and death once and for all. So that he would be righteous and holy, ascending to the right hand of the Father. So that on the day of judgment that you and I will face, along with every single person who ever has lived or ever will live, we will be counted among the righteous, not because of our lives, but because we have put our faith and our hope and our trust in the life of Jesus Christ. Joy comes with obedience to the Lord a sacrifice, a surrender to the one and only king? Do we look for the joy and the pain? Do we look for joy even in the pain and the perceived craziness of our lives? Do we, do we find that joy in faithful obedience? Listen, we all need renovation in our lives. We all need that renovation every single day of our lives. Some days, it feels like we just need to touch up the paint. Some days, it feels like we need a complete gut job. We need to tear it down to the studs and just start over. But the key is this. If we are to constantly be molded and shaped into God-honoring, spirit-filled followers of Jesus Christ, then we must constantly submit to God's will and God's purposes for our lives. And in order to undergo this continual renovation, we have to remember that that preparation will require pain, will require sacrifice and selflessness. And we remember that that process will feel crazy to our fleshly sensibilities. But in the end, we know that our obedience will yield unmatched joy as we fulfill 
our calling to proclaim the glory and the honor and the power of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Church family, may we be ready to endure the challenge of faithfulness in a faithless world. May we walk steadfastly in God's word and in Christ's love. But as we do, may our lives exude the joyous hope of a spirit-empowered life of meaning and purpose by building up our brothers and sisters in, in the divine family of God and sharing the love and forgiveness of Jesus Christ with the world. And in all of this, may Christ be praised and may his name be lifted high in our every thought, our every word, and our every deed. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for the gift that we have of being your children. We thank you for the blessing of your grace and your mercy and your forgiveness. And Lord, we repent of the ways that we have chosen to back away in those moments of pain, those moments where things don't look the way we think they should look. And we repent of the lack of faith that we show far too often. And fathers, we turn away from our selfish idolatry and run back to you. We pray that you would remind us once again of how you are in control of all things. You are the God who is reigning and ruling. And you've not asked us to take care of everything. You haven't asked us to make sure we have all the answers or we know what to do in every situation or we know how to cure the the ailments of our world. You simply called us to trust you and to follow you in faithfulness and to know the joy and the hope that comes when you are our everything. And so, Father, as we prepare for whatever you have in store for us today, this week, this month, this year, the rest of our lives, Lord, may we go with that attitude of faithfulness, saying, God, I don't, know what you're, I don't always know what you're doing. I don't always know where you're taking me, but I will go because I know you are God and you are good. Lord, we thank you for calling us, for loving us, for saving us, for using us. And may we go to the glory and the honor of your great and your awesome name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you'd like more information about Erie Evangelical Free Church or our ministries, please visit www.eriefree.com or join us in person at 1409 16th Avenue, Erie, Illinois.